some other people file through, but we are going to get started. Um, we had a ton of great feedback that came through on last week's just pure uh, just questions and going through and discussing with people about what they're working on. And we, it allows us to go a lot deeper into topics and I think provide a lot more value to people here. Um, and so that is going to be the plan again for today. We're going to test it out again. I welcome your feedback during and at the end about how we should think about coordinating the event, but we've gotten some... Uh, positive responses. So we're going to continue on this track. We also have tons of questions queued up from the previous episodes as well as people that submitted. And so if you all want to submit questions in advance, feel free to reply to the email that goes out in advance or drop it into the chat here. Do a little note if you feel like coming on live and having a back and forth conversation, which I will, we will prioritize as the first ones. And again, you all could be doing anything with this hour. So appreciate you being here, focused on you getting better, focused on helping others getting better. So I'm grateful to spend uh, an hour with you here. So with that, let's not waste any more time. Let's get into the questions. All right. So to reiterate what Chris said, we'll prioritize anybody that feels good about coming on live. So just let me know in the chat if you feel comfortable coming on and we'll prioritize you. I'll give everybody a couple minutes to get their questions queued up and kick it off with some questions we've gotten the backlog from previous episodes. So let's see. Okay. So let's kick it off. We've got some questions about SMEs and how that works internally, how you could structure that for your company. Uh, it says, I'm a little late to this one. This might've already been covered in a previous episode, but would love to dig into how to tactically enable internal SMEs when marketing to high or specific knowledge customers. How do we identify them? How do we get them bought in? Uh, I think the goal would be to have a full-time SME working in the marketing org, but would love tips on how to get zero to one. Yeah, and I don't think that you need to start with an internal SME in the marketing org. I think that's a very like developed strategy once you prove it out to have or if you have just have a company where you have a co-founder, founder, um, expert that is really driven to want to do that. Um, and even in then, perhaps that person also wants to be involved in product development and they want to be involved in going into important sales conversations. And so it's possible that this like evangelist SME person has a broader scope of responsibilities than just being the podcast host and producing content, in which case it may make sense for them to report somewhere else. So with that said, I think the like the easiest way to get an internal SME to get the wheels turning to being a quote unquote, for lack of a better word, evangelist spokesperson for your company and a, a key host of your content is to put them in situations that they are, or just record them in situations that they're already in. Maybe they like to do uh, like lunch and learn with the company and they're doing a lunch and learn on this like new clinical data that came out or this new feature that happened or something that's changing in the market that's relevant to your company's perspective. And just recording them doing things that they're already doing can be a great way to start. You get the video content, you get the audio content for a podcast, you can decide how to chop it up so it's most relevant to your audience. Um, I also like having like putting them in positions where they get to interview people that they respect about topics that they care about. 
So perhaps setting them up to uh, to have a roundtable discussion with three peers that they respect, to interview someone that just did something really important in the industry and learn about that, um, to have them interview key customers or cu- people on the customer advisory board or things like that just for a discussion can be good things. To have them be presenting a webinar, whether that's an internal webinar or an external to people. Um, I think it's all about understanding that person well, understanding what they care about and what they like to do and what they're comfortable already doing versus what they're uncomfortable doing. And then creating the situations for things that they're already comfortable doing where you can also get the content out of it. So that's one sort of angle. And then the other angle is to not use an internal SME at the beginning and instead go and interview external people to get it started, which will then start to show them what good looks like and then they will become more interested. So I think those are the two core strategies that I've taken with people that were very not interested in being the host of a podcast or writing a blog about a clinical data for our company, other things like that, and taking someone from very uninterested to showing them why it's important and how they can reach a lot of people with their expertise and message and be able to help them and influence the company's growth and things like that. But for a lot of people that are SMEs, especially in more technical type of roles, they don't see it right away. They're not a marketer. They don't. They think a podcast is not that important. They think that their specialty is so much more valuable that they could be doing other things that would greater benefit the company. So being able to demonstrate to them how important this is and how much impact it can have I think is the first step to getting buy-in. Incredible. Uh, Tatiana, let me find you in the queue real quick and I'll ask you to unmute. You can join us live. I work with a company which is partnered with Microsoft and our big bet for 2023 is the insurance uh, sector, specifically in Europe, because the digital maturity, even in the biggest insurers, is very, very, very delayed. Here's my issue. We've got some great content. We've got some great case studies. It's getting it in front of the right eyeballs. My proposition can only be approved and validated by somebody very senior in the organization because even the minimal viable product would would require us to get into the guts of the company's data and be privy to sensitive information and and data and, and so on. So my question is, my company used to just do lead gen And obviously that's not going to work for the insurance proposition because it needs to be very, very targeted. Our TAM is very small. Eligible number of eyeballs is very small. How do I, you know, we're going to a big event. We're going to two big conferences this year in London. But aside from that digitally, how can I get the right content in front of these eyeballs? When your target audience is very small, sometimes it is more useful to do things that feel a little bit more like sales. Yeah. And so it is basically fancy sales, which is what we're doing. Totally. Yeah. But you can like have the, the, the way that I look at marketing and sales is a little different about whether you're engaging with that person to have a sales conversation or whether you're engaging with that person without the intent of selling them something. That's how I split the difference, how I split the difference between marketing and sales, which is a little bit different. So it's possible to take a targeted approach 
that would use something that most people in the sales department would use, like a direct email, like setting up an event, like setting up a physical event, a like workshop, a round table, a place where you sit around with five other people and drink wine, where you have your most successful insurance customer come and talk to three prospective customers in that same same area about something totally unrelated to your product or solution. Um, I think when you're, when the audience is that small, it's really like, I don't, I don't really even know what this word means, but it feels right. Like it's just a direct marketing approach. You have direct mail, you have the people's emails, you're going one-to-one. Um, and then whether you're doing it with the intent of having a sales meeting or whether you're intent of having a, an education or more of a marketing touch point, I think is the distinction. But yeah, when you only like, I've used the example before, if you only can sell to the top uh, Fortune 50 companies and you're only going after the CIO and the top Fortune 50 and that's the decision maker, then taking a like one-to-one type of sales approach is probably the right move there. Yeah, yeah, because, uh, you know, it's absurd. We're running, <laughs> you're going to laugh, we're running Facebook ads. And it's and I'm, t- I'm telling them, why are we doing this? We're just throwing money into the sea. We're running LinkedIn ads and we're getting, uh, I mean, we're t- <laughs> it's getting some traction. We got one lead, funnily enough, from one of our target accounts, but he's, he's a director. So we can court him, but ultimately we need the ears of of the CIO and the chief data officer. Yeah, you're looking. Uh, I mean, I another approach here on LinkedIn ads would pick pick those fifty accounts and run it to everyone at the company that's like director and above, or everyone in certain departments or functions, and then have the message be like, "Does your CIO know that you could save?" five hundred and fifty thousand dollars per month by switching to this data source and just have that be the idea that you're trying to have someone in the company that already has the connection to just send them the information that you want them to see. Um, so leveraging that type of approach where, yeah, you're going to on LinkedIn ads, a majority of the ads are going to be delivered to someone in the account that isn't your exact decision maker, but they still work at the account. And if you only have 50 accounts, that means those accounts are worth a lot of money. Um, so I think this over the top sort of broader account level message could work too with the main goal of having somebody else send the person the information or the video or the case study or the event invite that you want them to get because you've created a message about how you can impact their business that matters to somebody else in the company. So that could be a that could be a digital uh, a more digital approach and I would use uh, I would use LinkedIn ads not Facebook and Instagram ads. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chris. Happy to help. Yeah. Glad to have you on again, Tatiana. Thanks for joining us. Um, Okay. Let me go back to the queue. This is a really long question. So I'm going to try and summarize as I read it. The brunt of the question is really about under better understanding pipeline velocity, specifically the, the calculation for how you get there, how you measure it, why it's quarterly. Let's start with that. And then I'll skim the rest of the question and make sure we've successfully answered yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna pull up a resource just so people have a visual here too beautiful so when you're making the pipeline velocity calculation you're combining three lagging sales metrics that are calculated based on close one deals those are are closed deals which are win rate sales cycle and average arr 
and then you're implementing a present metric number of qualified opportunities generated, what we call hero opportunities, that becomes the present metric to feed forward to project future performance. This becomes a relative measure of how much velocity or how fast pipeline is moving through your funnel to closed one over a period of time. So it becomes a metric that you can use over time to understand, is it going up or is it going down? Are we moving in the right direction or are we moving in the wrong direction? It also helps you acknowledge that there are four key metrics that actually impact how fast you can grow. Most companies only look at how much pipeline did we generate. They're not looking at how long were the sales cycles? What are the ways that we can cut that? How can we increase ASP? How can we increase the win rates? We have higher sales productivity. There are a lot of different ways that you can overall increase the growth of your company. As an example, in 2018, when I worked at a company, um, their outbound method drove a lot of pipeline, but they won that pipeline at 6% from meeting to closed one and the sales cycles on them were 212 days. And then we created a different channel where people were actually coming through a website and saying, hey, I wanted to buy now, which created actually way less pipeline. It was probably 30% of the pipeline generated through outbound, but we won that pipeline at 34%. And the sales cycles on those deals were 76 days instead of 212 days. So you have just significant so with way less pipeline, you have significantly more velocity and scalability, which would allow you to say, hey, if we're gonna scale or invest more money, we should invest more money in the places that are demonstrating the highest pipeline velocity. And so this is the calculation that you get, and then you can analyze that over whatever period of time that you decide. Looking at this quarterly for most companies is probably the right way to look at it. And uh, annually is probably too long and uh, monthly is too short and will be too erratic. Most, If you look at publicly traded companies or even venture funded companies, most companies are measuring their progress and performance on fiscal quarters. And so looking at this uh, in a fiscal quarter would be the reason that we measure it quarterly. And then in that case, this number, days in the analysis period, would be 91, which is the average amount of days in a fiscal quarter. You could also decide to measure it annually at 365 days, which would be able to show you maybe for a company that has a two-year sales cycle or a 180-day sales cycle, this might be a good way to look at it over a long period of time. But then again, you can't really compare it to another data point for a full year. And most companies that are listening to this podcast and most companies just generally are looking for an indicator that they can look at at a more frequent basis. And I think this becomes one of the core key metrics for net new revenue generation. I'm not saying it's more important than NRR. I'm not saying that it's more important than other metrics that companies prioritize like EBITDA or profitability. But when you look at the effectiveness and the progress to your net new customer acquisition, this becomes what I think is the most important metric because it combines a lot of the... Uh, metrics that are shared between marketing and sales, the most important metrics for net new acquisition into one core metric and shows you how you're performing over time. So happy to answer a follow-up here, but here's the calculation that you can use. And then you can decide based on your sales cycle and business needs at what rate or what frequency that you analyze it. But the 
thing that I've found to work for most businesses is quarterly. In the same vein, can you also chat about close rate, how it's calculated, how people can use it, leverage insights? Absolutely. Let's see if this is in here so I can just show it. Yeah. Okay. Win rate is calculated and then op- opportunities needs to be further defined. What, it, what do we consider an opportunity? Most companies will consider it based on the stage of the opportunity, regardless of the pipeline source, whether it, like I mentioned, whether at the company I work for, whether it came from outbound and we wanted at 6% or whether it came through the website and we wanted at 34%, they just all consider that pipeline. Um, I find that there's a more scientific, accurate, predictable way to to do it by measuring the win rate of specific pipeline sources like outbound cold calling, giving away gift cards, you know, a declared intent web, website conversion, someone that asked for a demo at an event, etc. Um, but you need to define what an opportunity actually means first, and then from there, then you can just you can look at all the opportunities that reached that stage. Let's pretend it's stage three in the sales process for right now. So all of the opportunities in the entire business that reached the third stage, how many of them went to close one and how many of them went to close lost and only use the opportunities that have reached one of those outcomes. So we're not including active deals in here. We're only including deals that have reached a one or lost uh, outcome. And then we're going to look at how many opportunities did we win divided by how many opportunities did we win plus how many opportunities did we lose, i.e. how many total opportunities that we had. And that'll give you the win rate of your opportunities. Another key thing that has to happen here is that the sales team needs to have discipline to move a opportunity to won or lost when it's won or lost. A lot of companies with long sales cycles or a lot of companies that, that don't have a lot of discipline in their overall pipeline will have sales reps keep opportunities open that really should be marked as lost with a task to follow up in six months. Instead, they just leave it open in stage three, which then impacts your sales cycle data. It impacts your win rate data. It impacts your pipeline velocity calculations. And so having clean data is and sales discipline and how to manage opportunities in a pipeline is table stakes here. And then from there, this calculation becomes very simple. Beautiful. I know we've got some um, chatter in the chat about uh, follow-up questions for clarification, but we do have somebody that wants to ask a question live and needs to hop. So Becca, I'm going to prioritize you real quick, and then we'll hop back into um, sales velocity calculations. Thanks. Um, I have a question about the best way to pivot as marketers when our organization moves from kind of a regional top of funnel approach for demand to a global target account list where we have existing leads at all stages of the funnel. Um, If there are any quick wins or, you know, things that we might miss as we pivot from that regional to target account list approach. Yeah, let's talk through it just to help a lot of people. So when you say regional top of funnel, what you mean is that, for instance, like you're running a lead gen program to Germany, trying to get a bunch of top of funnel leads for the German sales team, right? And then you and then there's a separate thing where a specific amount of budget and a specific MQL or target like that is set for every single region that you're going after. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so that's the regional top of funnel. Now you've moved to a global target account list. So it's not like we're going to put $15,000 in Germany 
in, may, we might actually be spending $5,000 on these four accounts. Exactly. Something like yep. that. Yeah. Um, and so what that impacts is like typically in the regional top of funnel model, sometimes you have specific like marketing teams that are focused on specific regions. Yeah. Yep. Is that still the case organizationally? You, but it's just focused on accounts now or is it become global no, with one centralized team mm -hmm. going after all regions? Exactly. Yes. And so what is the, like, let's get into more of the details. What are the specific challenges you're facing? Like where to allocate budget, how to measure, how to, what tactics to use, how to, yeah, what, what's, yeah. The tactics I think is what we're struggling with most. Um, we had a lot obviously set in our 2023 strategy and now we have, Part of our team that has been assigned to ABM and has always done ABM. Um, and so they have their set account lists. And then we have, you know, say a thousand remaining accounts um, at a global level that we're targeting. And we know that we have leads at all stages of the funnel. So we're kind of needing to pivot from purely top of funnel to mm -hmm. you know, some nurture streams and figuring out how to engage really at an account level rather than focusing all of our energy at top of funnel. Mm -hmm. um, on the ABM team, is their list smaller? Yes, so, they do 50 yeah. accounts. Yeah, 50 accounts, the biggest 50. A lot of companies call that strategics. Yeah, something like that. And then you sure. have the next level, which some companies call enterprise or something like that, which is where you're focused. Yeah, this is sort of, yep. I'm getting it. Yeah. Okay. And then how do you, like you said, leads at all stages, like how do you determine what stages uh, leads or accounts are at? Um, we have like six uh, stages that we track. So we track like when an SDR makes contact and then we track once they have a discovery call Mm -hmm. um, once they're handed off to an AE, once they have a demo, and then that's when we have an opportunity open. So we're tracking every single one of those stages and then through the sales mm -hmm. funnel as well. Technically, you use like the lead stages and then the opportunity stages. Is that technically how it works or is it all op it's just six opportunity stages? It's lead stages. Yeah, yeah. lead and stages. And then once that someone becomes a contact, then they go through the opportunity stages. Understood. Okay. Um, and then what are you, what are some of the like core places where like effort and money are focused right now to right. drive these outcomes? Yeah, I think the majority of budget is for like paid ads, um, a lot of content syndication, paid mm -hmm. search, Mm -hmm. um, and then we have one CRM marketer that is really kind of the bottom lead funnel. He's mm -hmm. doing a lot of one-to-one -one through people who have been like contacted by sales. We know they're viable and we know their interest level. Mm -hmm. Maybe the last question, but I'll make no promises. <laughs> um, what are, what's like the core success metrics that you're working towards? Like how, how do they determine whether like your team is being successful or not? We're gold on open ops. Open opportunities within that thousand accounts. 
Yeah, that are marketing attributed. Um, we do a last touch model within 45 days. Okay, that's an interesting uh, nuance there. Um, another topic for another day. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's critical because it like be, how you're measured drives what you do, right? Totally. Like if you if you told me that it's on a last touch model then the things that we would do would be different. Otherwise, we would do things and your company would say you're not hitting the goals, right? Yeah. This is why measurement is so important. Um, so on a last touch model, what are the key ways that you open ops in last touch right now? Uh, can you clarify what you're asking? Yeah. So um, like, I guess you've been doing this for s at least like a couple of months, like for the last couple of months that you can remember, like, when people come through and you open ops, which is getting towards your goal, uh, what does the last touch uh, attributed to marketing say? Does it say events? Does it say website? Does it say uh, paid ad? Um, what are the things that are yeah. working to get you to the goal right now? It's probably 50-50 between paid search. Um, we're in a niche spot, but we're, our branding is pretty good. So mm -hmm. paid search as well for us. And uh, like, I guess LinkedIn retargeting um, is doing pretty well. We're launching SEO. We've seen a lot of success with it, but it's just not off the ground yet. Mm -hmm. When you say LinkedIn retargeting, do you know how, like, it is it to like a lead form or how do you get attribution yes. against that? Yeah. It's a demo request. Got it. Okay. Um, and then on paid search, have you taken a look at um, whether the conversions come through branded or non-branded keywords? No. Okay. I would definitely do that as a first, uh, a first step because that'll give you a good sense. If you can identify like what are the keywords that are driving these types of opportunities and then be able to bucket them. Is it someone is because someone's searching a generic term like, you know, I don't know what business. So I'm just going to make something up like, you know childcare CRM, like if they're searching a generic term or they're searching the brand name, um, that'll give you a sense about do people, when they get to Google, do they already know us and they're looking for us or do they not know what they're looking for yet and our, our money is being really well spent? That's a, yeah. good, a good thing to look at. So another couple other things that I would, I would do, if you're gold on uh, open opportunities, then you're not really that incentivized to market to open opportunities. Maybe there is a different team that does that. But for now, just for the sake of like a, hitting, hitting the goals that have been set, we can debate whether the goals are right or not at a different time. But let's just talk through your current situation that really what you're trying to do is get someone from a lead to an opportunity with a like core last touch touch point. So that mm -hmm. means that the like last touch or bottom, I call it bottom funnel, a capture demand conversion is going to be some type of transactional digital activity. So that leads you to things like lead forms on LinkedIn. It leads you to paid search. Um, it could lead you to just organic or direct website conversions. Like I'm sure that that has shown up at least some point, like hasn't been attributed to an ad, but they find you most likely through Google or because they already knew your brand and come to your website and convert that way. Those are the places where you want people to convert. The thing that I would look at is I would like create a pie chart of where the budget is going. And then you can maybe create another one about where the effort is going. 
And I would create the pie chart and look at how much of this money is being spent to capture demand versus create demand. So then like if like you had paid paid ads, content syndication, uh, like I assumed email nurtures and things like that, like maybe for the sake of the conversation, like 75% of the budget's being spent on like lead generation or demand demand capture, something like that. And then for the sake of the conversation, let's just say that 25% is left over on uh, demand creation. And then I would be focused on how do I make that 20... How, how do I look at the 75% that's spent on demand capture and figure out how much is necessary to get capture the demand that's there? What's working? What isn't working? Well, how should that budget be set? That should be first. Like Maybe it'll be more, maybe it'll be less. If it's more, then you should be able to go back and justify increasing the budget because you'll have the open opportunities to justify it. Um, and that's basically all about what you're already doing. So the retargeting, the like looking deeper into Google paid ads and showing what's driving open opportunities and then figuring out like the website conversion to see how many people already come to our website. How do we convert more of them into a like organic or direct demo request? And then we're going to try and figure out how are we going to go out to the rest of the thousand accounts and create demand with key decision makers inside of the company or influencers of the decision. Things that I would do there um, and a thousand accounts is like pretty small. So the, bu- the budget needed to do this at a thousand accounts is not dramatic, right? Like, let's just pretend you got a thousand accounts. You want to market to 10 people inside of those accounts. You got 10,000 people total. You're paying $40 CPM on LinkedIn to hit everybody in your audience. It's going to cost you 440 bucks if to hit everyone once, right? So it's not like a huge amount of money. Right. And then I'm thinking about what like what information at at the lead, not at the opportunity stage, am I going to deliver to them? Things that I think about, social proof. So like how do I get key like maybe you have case studies on your website already? How do I repackage right. that case study and then how do I format it to be appropriate for a LinkedIn ad? And then how do I deliver that case study whether it's a image graphic designer makes an image that says, you know, blah, 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 company decreased cost by 75% using X, whether we take a video of what that person was talking about, chop it up into a 30 second, like testimonial, and we put that in there and we run it to those thousand accounts that are like them. Thinking about just general, like maybe there's a lot of people in those thousand accounts that don't even know what you do, right? So trying to get like very direct and simple about how do I just get all of these thousand accounts to know this is what we do. And then maybe another one about how do I get these a thousand accounts to know this is why we're different. So have like little break it down to little goals of what you're trying to accomplish. I want these companies to know what we do clearly and simply. I want them to know why we're different. I want them to know about other companies that use the product already and are having success. I want them to know what outcomes other companies are getting or what outcomes they can expect. I want them to know what problems core business problems that we solve and how how we do it and then break those into little mini dare i say like a campaign like a piece of content that gets run to a set of accounts like break that into little mini goals and the goal here is that we deliver it to all those thousand accounts which is going to educate them in a way that is uh, has more scale than using an email database because you're going to be able to get to a lot more people on LinkedIn than you would just based on the database that you have an email. It's going to create a level of uh, awareness that you may not get for people that are getting like a high volume email. Um, and it's going to create 
a lot of the early things that you would have to wait to a sales conversation to get to. Mm-hmm. And it's going to bring more people into this stratosphere from like, I've never heard of your company or like, I know about your category, but I'm not looking for it right now and bring more people into the idea of like, hey, maybe this is something that we should think about. Then those accounts are going to be visiting your website, whether they click on the ad, whether they share the content and someone else goes to the website, whether they talk about it in their next meeting, and then someone at the company goes to the website, you're going to start to get those accounts on your website. Yeah. Then if you use a like an intent data tool or a website de-anonymization tool, then you can see, okay, these are the accounts that are now on our website. They match our target account list. They started to look at the pricing page. Now let's start to trigger sales outreach. Let's you know trigger other things. That's like on the tactic side, sort of like what I was, what I'm thinking, like optimize how you're capturing already. I imagine that there's waste there. Yeah. Um, and then try and pick one or two things that can be very targeted to these thousand accounts that can get people, uh, basically create demand for those thousand accounts. There's another element here of measurement, but I'm going to pause there for now and let's talk about tactics first. Do you have questions on that that we can get a little bit deeper on about like the mechanics of how we do that? Or I can just... No, I I like the the thinking of kind of approaching, even though we know we'll have multiple lead stages within each account, kind of doing like a tabula rasa and saying, okay, maybe you know our brand, but like here's, like you said, the social proof, here's how the pain points that we address and really working so that everybody in that account knows us and knows what we do kind of level setting rather than trying to kill ourselves over. We know this one person has Mm -hmm. engaged with three things. So they're at a different stage and kind of resetting. And it's like effectively taking the, like your sales team's only going to have so many conversations and it actually like takes a lot of progression for them to actually have that conversation with one of those thousand accounts. So just taking the things, what are the key things that we want to communicate in a sales conversation And how can we communicate that at scale to people that are not ready for a sales conversation yet? Exactly. Yeah. Trying to make their lives easier and making their conversations easier. I think level setting at the top of funnel helps with the bottom of funnel conversations. Yes. And then on the measurement side, like I think there's a, a, we work with a lot of account, uh, like companies that are set up this way, whether it's PLG, sales led, they have strategics, they have enterprise, they have mid market. Um, and then deciding how do we like goal, how do, what, what KPI or measure of success we're really going to goal the marketing team that's focused on that segment on. Um, And when you're at the upper end of the spectrum, typically enterprise and strategics where the account list is, you have named accounts, right? It's not like companies that are 100 to 1,000 employees that are fit this decision maker. You have actual named accounts. Um, I would consider maybe like you think about this, uh, but if it was me, I would look to... Uh, challenge the organization about whether last touch attribution is needed or not. And it's yeah. just whether or not how many op- how much pipeline are we creating with these thousand accounts and we have this many sales resources and we have this many marketing resources, we have this many SDRs and we've budgeted appropriately that if we close 60 of these thousand accounts that will hit our cost of acquisition target. Right. And then, and then it's just like, did we hit, did we open, did we open opportunities with 120 and do we win 60 or whatever it is? Because the tactics that you mentioned about what you're doing is exactly what I would expect based on how you're measured. 
Right. So it just like limits you when you go into the, the LinkedIn, like ad motion, right? So let's just say we're doing that. Let's just say we have 25% of the budget. And we're doing this like create demand motion with LinkedIn ads to a thousand accounts and the sales team has six cents. And so now we have all these people coming, all these accounts coming off the website. They're going to your website. Maybe six cents can't get it because it's on mobile traffic coming from LinkedIn. Then they come off, then they go to the website, then they see, hey, these accounts are surging. Then they go and make an outbound call and they're able to book a meeting. And to like your measurement model, the LinkedIn ads did nothing when really it did everything. Exactly. Um, and yeah. so uh, it just, when you do that, you're basically hoping like, did this company come in and then convert on a demo, which, or were we able to like run some type of retargeting and convert them so we can measure that effectively, which just sort of pigeonholes what you can do. Right. And I think we're um, kind of with our lead scoring to get them through the funnel, we're kind of stuffing, trying to get them as scored as high as possible to get them through the funnel quicker instead of really thinking about the meaningful engagements um, that will get them, like you said, to that bottom funnel point. Totally. Yeah. Um, and like, this is very common where it's like, we have three stages of like the lead funnel. And then it's like, they opened our email 10 points. They like went to the pricing page, three points. And then it's just like, okay, we need to get into a hundred. Let's just send them 15 emails. And if they open exactly. five of them, then they'll, they'll hit the score. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. and, uh, if you, when you're measured on MQLs, that model can work great because you're like, you're measured on MQLs, they hit 50 points, they get the lead score, you hit your MQL target. Um, when you're measured on open opportunities, that model starts to break down a little bit because the goal is farther than what that model is optimized to do. And it's interesting that I've always found that it's like, it's easier to just get someone from zero to opportunity than to collect their lead for like a content download or content syndication and then try and push them through with like automated emails and things like that. That's yeah. easier to just allow them to educate on their own, have the internal conversations and then get them all the way through versus trying to like shove them through this lead funnel. That's what I've found. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. That was an awesome chat. I appreciate you coming on. I hope that helped a lot of people too. Love diving Super into this helpful. stuff. Thanks. Appreciate it. Happy to help Becca. Awesome. That was a good rant. Thank you for coming on. Um, okay, Chris, let's quickly revisit this topic. We've got lots of chatter um, on velocity, just clarifications. So maybe mm -hmm. you can just like pick A, B, or C and we can get to the next couple of questions. Okay. So um, clarification. So Number of opportunities. Is this the total new deals that have entered the pipeline during that time frame of your sales velocity calculation? Is it something different? There's a couple of options of just like trying to identify very specifically what's considered in this calculation and what's out of bounds. Total qualified opportunities created during the same analysis period that you're looking. So all of these metrics are calculated within the period. So on the win rate, the ACV, and the sales cycle, it's calculated based on deals that were closed, won or lost, depending on the specific metric, closed, won or lost during that quarter if you're measuring quarterly. For the number of qualified opportunities, it's how many opportunities hit qualified during that time. So it's not when the opportunity was created, it's when the opportunity hit your definition of qualified. Every single company should be date stamping 
their opportunity records when it hits the qualified stage. We call it hero, which in our pipeline is stage two. In many companies, it's going to be stage three, but it's most likely stage two or stage three. And it can sometimes be stage one, depending on when the company decides to open the opportunity. And so if the opportunity moves in our thing, like stage one meeting, you know, conversion meeting booked, stage two, qualified opportunity. When it moves to stage two, we stamp the date of the date that it moved into stage two. And then we use that date to decide how many opportunities move to qualify during the analysis period. So it's not as cut and dry as how many opportunities did we create. It's how many opportunities move to qualify during that period of time. Okay. Let me know if that uh, clarifies the questions in the chat. What's also interesting, someone else said, what about deals that become closed invalid or whatever the third category is that's being used for if they are neither won nor lost? I can say I've never seen a third category. I think that's like a very strange... It's a very strange scenario, but Chris, maybe you know more than I do. Close, lost, invalid is typically a salesperson's way of not admitting to themselves that they lost. Like <laughs> it's it's either it's either you won or you lost. Um, and so, close, lost, invalid, like should be considered lost. Um, it's closed, and then like invalid might mean to in this specific example, like. They made no decision. We should follow up in six months, or uh, that's probably the that's probably the main reason why it should be invalid. Um, and in that case, like the way I would handle it is that opportunity goes to close lost. We set a task in our CRM as a sales rep to say, okay, this person said follow up in six months. I'm going to follow up in six months. If in six months we have a good meeting, I'm going to open another opportunity. We lost the first one. Six months later, I've resurfaced a new one. It's a new deal cycle. I'm going to treat it differently. So that's what I would. Uh, that's what I would do. But if you do have these sort of like one-offs where you have a third closed loss, a closed stage, that just decide is that stage one or not. And if it's not one, then bucket it in the closed loss category. Yeah, or if it's truly not qualified, then I think maybe that should happen in a previous stage. So then it's not included in this analysis yeah. anyways. If it's some kind of like technical deep dive or something that happens with a solutions engineer, a solutions consultant, like after this stage, I just think the order of operations could be adjusted so that yeah. that technical deep dive takes place before you actually hit hero stage. Like for instance, this could be it. this could be an example. There's something that happens in ours where like people will convert on our website and it's like a test or they're totally unqualified or something like that. And it creates a stage one opportunity automatically on the conversion, even if it's a test. Our win rate is not calculated until it's moved to stage two. So our sales rep will just take that opportunity from stage one, move it to close lost. It's not in, and it doesn't impact any of the calculations or things. So that could be an ex like invalid could mean like spam or unqualified. And in that case, that should never reach the qualified stage anyway. Yeah, that was a good riff. Okay, one one more qu clarifier, though, while mm -hmm. you're here. Maybe keep it on the screen for okay. a second. In this, we are not including ops that carried over from the prior time frame. This is only what was entered the pipeline during this period. Like true or false? Exactly. Yeah. This is not this is not a measure of how much open pipeline that you have or how much pipeline coverage that you have. That is a separate metric that has merit. Um, but what this is looking at is how do how much what were the dynamics of the closed one deals that we had this quarter? 
And what were the dynamics of how much new pipeline we created this quarter? And so when we're measuring uh, velocity, we're looking at what's happening, what happened right now, what happened in this period, not not what's the accumulation of what we've done over the past six quarters with some deals that are still in the pipeline. Um, open pipeline has some merit, but I've also found that like there are some uh, marketing leaders that are that are measured on open pipeline, and their goal is to just create fi- you know have fifty million in open pipeline, and that's their goal. And what are the different ways that you can get fifty million in open pipeline? Sales reps don't close opportunities that are lost, and pipeline sits there. What other uh, what other ways can you get there? It basically like. Uh, if you have the same amount of pipeline moving out as that you have moving in, like you can reach some level of equilibrium where you always have 50 million in pipe. But like our job as marketers is to grow pipe every quarter to have sales cycles and win rates get win rates get better. Sales cycles get shorter to increase ASP. If we're trying to move up market to increase the overall velocity of growth, and so when you just look at open pipeline, you don't incentivize marketing leaders to grow pipeline quarter over quarter. Um, so yes, this is a, this is a measure of in period performance. Okay. Great riff. I think we've resolved all the questions in the chat. Hopefully about if there's, if there's more, keep them coming. We'll keep clarifying. <laughs> yeah. If there's more, let us know, follow up on that thread that was started for this. Um, Okay, let's see. I've got one in the queue that I'm confirming she wants to come on live. Um, let me riff on a couple of questions we've got in the chat that want to rena- remain anonymous. Um, what advice do you have for marketing contractors that are wanting to employ the tactics of a demand gen school of thought with their current clients, but the clients are solely focused in prioritizing lead gen? Uh, would you treat education in the same way as an internal employee to the executive team, or is it a different dynamic since you're an outside contractor? I would attract new customers that decide to work with you because of your your approach. So I wouldn't. Uh, you can try to change what the companies internally are doing, but the reality is that most likely they didn't hire you to do that, um, and so I would continue working with those customers because you want to produce revenue and, you know, make money. Wouldn't just say, hey, you're not going to change. See you later. I would keep working with those companies. And then I would specifically be trying to create content, host events, uh, look at companies that are already doing some interesting things and try and start conversations with the idea of this company's coming and and they decide to work with you because they want to change to something new or because they're already doing something new and they know you can help them accelerate. I think this is really more of a um, a client selection. The same thing goes if you're a marketer trying to find a company. It's much easier to find a company that's already wants to change or already is moving in the direction that you want to go versus trying to join one that isn't and try and convince them to change. So I, I, I would uh, reframe this a little bit and look at it as client selection, not how do I convince current clients to change. You can, tr- you can try and I've done it a lot. You know, I would say that my success rate on this for companies that don't want to change to try and change is less than 20%. So, and I'm pretty, damn, I'm pretty damn good at it. So I would encourage you to just look for new customers that already want that. 
Good riff. All right. We've got a couple in the queue that want to come on live. So Carolyn, I'll ask you to unmute. Hey, Chris, I'm trying to get my video to work. Carolyn, your video is never working. How's I, how's Scottsdale? Uh, I'm on my way there now. So I'm just uh, (laughs) sitting in the gate, but anyways, I just cut the tail end of this call. Um, and yeah, so we've got our sales kickoff for 2023 this week, and I'm leading a session around um, how sellers can help uh, build demand for the company. Um, our sales team is almost purely outbound. Um, they aren't necessarily like a very demand-oriented type of team. So assuming that outbound is still going to be a big focus for them, how can they do outbound better? So if like they're reaching out on LinkedIn Um, I've seen the way some of our sellers reach out on LinkedIn or send like cold emails and they're just like, they're shit Mm -hmm. (laughs) for lack of a better word. And so, um, yeah, like how can we help them be more, a little bit like more demand oriented and sort of like the way they, they reach out. Um, what is the key KPI that these people are scored on? Mm, Good question. Um, for them, it's getting opportunities into the funnel, building pipeline. Mm Mm-hmm. And is it uh, territorized by like geo or segment or how, how are accounts assigned? Um, yeah, uh, accounts are assi- assigned by territory. Sorry if you can hear a lot of background. That's all right. You. You're good. So assigned by geographical territory. Yeah, correct. Yep. There's kind of a push and pull on this one because we incentivize people that do outbound on transactional short-term metrics, but then want them to do non-transactional long-term activities, right? So there's a push and... I'm not saying that it's impossible, but there's a push and pull here. Um, So when the metrics get set, what are people trying... And then depending on how an opportunity is defined, like if it's booking a meeting or if it's doing a demo, then like they're going to try and book the meeting and get a demo so that they can hit the goal. Um, I'm thinking out loud here, but there's probably a way to create some level of either by moving the metric to later stage or by somehow facilitating a more longer game mentality that would allow... So some of the outbound activities that I like in this case, and part of it is the, the marketing or evangelism engine producing great information that sales reps want to share. The number one, the, I think the number one way to approach this is to, to be sharing information or using it as a one-to-one touch point to invite people to experiences or events or ways that they can get better. So, hey, hey Susan, I'm Jim in the uh, Boston Territory. Saw that uh, you were on this podcast visiting this person. Our CEO is coming into Boston and doing an event with 11 people. And that person is going to be the featured speaker. Would love if you could be there, right? Hey, uh, Susie, this is Jim, the sales rep in the Boston territory. Saw that you've been posting content on Twitter about this. Our you know, expert internally just was featured as a guest to focus on this. Here's the pot. Here's the clip of the podcast episode. I think you should listen between 33 minutes and 37 minutes if, and let me know what you think. I think that sharing of expert content that in a personalized way that actually brings value. There's a bunch of people that, that send me the URL to their LinkedIn posts and I just pass by it because it's totally irrelevant. So it's not like that. But a like true, I understand your account. I understand you and what you care about. 
we created information that might make sense. I'm going to be very specific about why I'm doing outreach and I'm going to share that as a touch point. I'm not going to ask you to have a meeting. What I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to get you into the content stream. I'm trying to for you to recognize that I can be helpful, that I am able to share good information, that I can understand you. And maybe as the rep, I'm trying to close that opportunity by the end of 2024. Right. I know that you all, especially if you're doing this, probably working some big deals. So being able to have some runway and play the long game, I think is a key element of success here. But personalized sharing of content, um, inviting people to uh, experiences, whether that's like a, hey, we're doing a, you know, round table with the five uh, agencies that are in Minnesota or, hey, we're doing a, you know, a wine night with a bunch of people like you, you want to join or, hey, we're doing this in-person event, or, hey, saw you're going to be speaking at this conference. Would love to know if we could get a coffee while you're there. I think there's a, a lot of different ways that can work. And the key is having the mindset and the metrics support the behaviors that you want to see. What are some of the things that you've been thinking about, Carolyn? That's really, that's awesome. Yeah. Especially because my organization, we're a tech company, um, a SaaS company, uh, pretty early stage, but we're entering into like the event space. Um, we're building a team of subject matter experts. So that's really helpful. We definitely have the content to be able to support them. I guess my question really is around like, how do you um, help a seller who is like very, um, I guess, you know, not demand oriented, have that mindset? How do you get them to really see the value in doing things differently? There are the two easiest ways that I think to get this done one, change their metric where this is the best way for them to achieve the goal. So like the same thing goes for marketing. When you change the marketing goal from MQLs to qualified opportunities that your sales team wins at 25%, the things that the marketing team does change too because the things that they do to hit the MQL goal don't actually get them to the opportunity goal. So there's a changing the metrics, which can be complicated. And I'm not recommending that you do that, but that's like one of them. The second thing is by somehow creating some level of a, a training program and incentive structure that just incentivizes them to try the behaviors and see what happens. So like we've done some things in the past where like every new person that joins our company goes through what we call our LinkedIn accelerator. It's like, what are the key tips about how to optimize your profile, post content, share, leave comments and engage? Like what should you be, you know, what should you be writing about? How do you structure a post? How often should you post? Like we bring them through a little bit of a training, which is like a couple of hours. And then we incentivize people of like whoever had the most volume of posts or had the most engagement on one single post or whatever we decide in one month gets a $500 gift card. And then it gets a little like it's not a ton of money, but it's a little gamification um, so I think through like small like incent- incentives and training can be one way and changing or adjusting the metrics could be another route. Third option, yeah. leading the way, whether that's Ooh, like yourself or maybe you like buddy up with a sales rep that's like maybe on the fence, almost ready to like convert to the dark side and take that person under your wing and help, you know, maybe if it can't be you, make it them, make one person be the guinea pig and have them show the way. I think that it's I so love that. Pretty, yeah, it's very, it like generates a lot of momentum, creates a lot of FOMO amongst the sales team. There's like no one in an organization more competitive in nature than a sales team. And if they see someone is doing something better, more effective, more efficient than they are, 
FOMO is like a big driver mm-hmm. to try and get them to jump on and be like, oh, what are they doing? How can I do it? It creates like a good downhill effect. Yeah, we've done that. Uh, I've done that a couple of times for different reasons, but picking a couple of reps that are open to doing new things that have the right mindset and have a lot of respect with the rest of the team, maybe because they exceed quota or in president's club or just people like them for whatever reason, you have a lot of trust and respect. And then helping them be successful with something new and then just letting that cascade across the team after that, I think is all a third uh, strategy. And I love that one. It might be the, actually the easiest of the three. Yeah. Less friction. That's what we're going yeah. for. <laughs> I love that. We're actually trying, trying that out right now with um, one of our SME people, but we're marketing is pretty much like doing it for them. We're showing them how to write the content showing them how to like, you know, film like 30 second videos, that sort of thing. Um, but I think the challenge is that a lot of people have a hard time just like communicating authentically on LinkedIn. Hmm. Um, so I think some of that really has to help people just sort of like, just feel comfortable going out on LinkedIn and being themselves and talking openly and, commu- and, and just like a normal person, not this like professional facade that everybody thinks that they should have. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the hardest part is getting started, truthfully, on that point. The hardest part is getting started. It is a vulnerable situation to put yourself out there in any public setting. And I think part of finding success is figuring out what they're comfortable with. So like maybe they aren't comfortable on camera. Maybe they don't want to, you know, pop out a 1080 by 1080 of their face in someone's feed. Like maybe that doesn't you know, motivate them. Maybe they're really good at written text. Maybe they're really good at having a one-on-one conversation with you or someone on your marketing team. Then that marketer turns that conversation into posts for them. I think to the point of like momentum, once that person like sees that it's starting to take off and create buzz, I think things that drive SMEs are normally talking with other SMEs, people in the field, people that value, et cetera. If you can show them the path to creating content lets you connect, like show them the benefits instead of having them get stuck on the hill of like, I don't want to put my face on a feed. Another thing it's different for an SME who is an expert in the field and is most likely going to be in that career field for a long time or their entire career versus a SaaS sales rep who may be in a different industry in two years or six months or three or four years. So there's a level of empathy for the sales professional that like, if they actually went out, one, they're not probably not an expert in the subject. And if they actually go out and build an audience around this, uh, this subject matter, if they were capable and able to do that, that eventually that may not be valuable to them anymore. Um, so it's different. Like if you're a sales rep and you sell sales software, it's very easy to talk about sales to people that do sales and have your product in there. It's different if you're selling, you know, financial software to CFOs and you're a sales rep, or if you're selling to CPG brands, or if you're selling whatever it is, like, um, I have a lot of empathy for sales reps that don't want to build a personal brand around a subject matter that they may not be involved with for a long time and are not 100% passionate about, which is why I've sort of recommended a strategy for sales that's less in feed and more one-to-one. And then you become like the curator, relationship person, deliverer of expert content rather than trying to uh, create content. A sales rep could, if they wanted to, 
say, be able to say, I've met with 15 CFOs over the past 30 days. And this is all, here's all the stuff that I've learned, right? Like they could, they could do that. Um, but there's a element, uh, Justin Welsh says it, it's like, don't, uh, like don't build your brand around your industry, especially like for, for sales reps specifically, build your brand around sales because you're probably going to change industries. So that's just another caveat, Carolyn, to consider when you think about uh, what, how, what you actually want them to do. Posting in-feed content is something that, uh, that sales reps might be not as receptive to, but would be perfect for an SME where an SME might not want to send one-to-one DMs to someone about content, but a sales rep might. Yeah, I can definitely appreciate that. I think uh, you really like hit it home with that point around um, switching industries for sure. And we've definitely seen that. Like We've seen turnover in our space too. So I do appreciate that some folks may not want to speak about a specific industry when they're wanting to get ahead as, as sellers, right? No, mm-hmm. I appreciate that. I'm conscious of all my background noise, so I'm going to go off mute, but I appreciate the answer and your feedback, Chris. It's, it's helpful. Awesome. Safe travels and good luck with the presentation. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. I am part of a marketing team in a B2B deep tech startup. Our average month over month user acquisition growth is 25% for the last eight months. We use various acquisition channels such as paid search, SEO, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and newsletters. Some channels are well-developed. Some are very much so a work in progress. My problem is that HubSpot shows that a big part of the users come from direct traffic. Uh, This is highly unlikely, in my opinion, as the market for our product is still too young, too small, and too unknown for people. I recently found out that some of my colleagues believe that direct traffic is really direct. I placed a field on one of the forms. Um, How did you hear about us? And immediately saw a mismatch between what HubSpot attributes and what people say. How do I actually proceed with setting up self-reported attribution from here to continue to prove the point? I mean, you've done most of the hard work already, right? Putting the how did you hear about us on the on the form is probably the place where most people get stuck. Um, add it to the field. Make sure that it's open text, not a drop down. Make sure that it's required, not optional. Make sure that you're not biasing the answers with helper text. Like, how did you hear about us? And then in the thing, you put e.g. Google search, referral. You don't bias the answers with helper text. Those are the three key things on the actual field. Um, and then at the beginning, you can look at those, uh, you can get those responses. You can have the account, what stage of opportunity are they in? Did it co- close one or close loss? How much pipeline was it created? You can export that into a spreadsheet. Um, and then you can do like basic spreadsheet manipulation to categorize. This is the first step that I did. Categorize someone that says, I heard about you from Reddit and then just put it in the Reddit bucket. And then maybe you have Reddit and then you have a bigger bucket called social media that includes Reddit, Twitter, different things like that. And then you have a podcast bucket, then you have a referral bucket, and then you might have, so you break it into little buckets. You can, like, if the volume's not that high, I used to do this manually with hundreds of submissions and I know that it doesn't take that long. So I'd literally read through exactly what they said and then I would just. Put it, put it into a category of where it belonged. And I would do that for hundreds of records. And then I would make a little pie chart. And then the pie charts end up being what's capturing the demand, aka what does HubSpot say for last touch attribution? And then what's creating the demand? What is the customer saying about how they heard about us? And then just show uh, 
part of it is showing the mismatch, but the real thing is that there's two different things going on here that we have to look at. And most B2B measurement systems only look at capturing the demand using touch point based attribution. So then you have a creating the demand bucket and then you can start to map that, map that back to what's, what are the key things that are how people are hearing about us? How do we go and map that to the programs that we're doing? Where are the places we're getting the most pipeline? What are the things that we can do to make that work better? Where are the places that we're not getting a lot of signals right now? Should we decide to cut bait on those things? Do we think that they're working because we have other ways of measuring that show that they're working, like looking at engagement and different things like that? I thought that uh, Rand Fishkin posted an incredible video yesterday that I want to uh, spend some more time like fleshing out my own thoughts on it. But the the point of the video was that measurement and attribution are not the same thing. And attribution is about tracking touch points to prove ROI. And measurement is looking at all of the available data that we have in order to inform our decisions. And his uh, the position that he put forward is that uh, attribution won't be around for that much longer. And we'll begin to use a lot more things that are focused on overall measurement, which would include a lot of qualitative data, platform level data, touch point based tracking data, and using all of those different measurement points to then go and make strategy decisions. With the key thing being how buyers buy is different, that there's tons of different digital channels, dark social that are untrackable by this type of software today without a direct response transactional conversion. Um, and that privacy policies continue to move in a direction where there's going to be less personal tracking, not more. And so if you keep playing those cards out for a while, over time, it'll end up being that a lot of the attribution systems and the technology infrastructure that they're built on will be yielded quite ineffective at doing anything other than measuring the same thing that most people see today, direct, direct traffic, organic search, paid search, lead gen programs. And so... You've already done the, the challenging parts where most people get stuck for self-reported attribution. And now the next step is actually looking at the data, trying to look at the qualitative data, convert it into some level of quantitative data, and start to use that to inform the decisions that you make and, and how you report back to the company. You want the company to understand that we need to look at two things, capturing demand and creating demand. And then you want to be able to look at each individual program they're running, Twitter, Reddit, different things like that, and have some idea of the uh, the prioritized impact that it's having. What's the number one most impactful? What are the things that are the least impactful? And then how do we make decisions based on that? Um, and then the last thing that I would do is I would create a Slack automation and I would push all of that, the submission data, the name of the person, the job title, the company size, what HubSpot attribution said, what did they say about how they heard about us, what tier of target account that they're in. And I would push all that data every time there's a submission to a channel that you can call whatever you want. We call it inbound requests that automatically when they fill out the form, it pushes into Slack, it shows all the data and every single person in the company sees that data. They say who who are submitting the forms and what are they saying about how they heard about us. And it's very, very quick to get alignment at the company about what's working and what's not when everybody at the company, including executives, is looking at data and seeing what people are saying. So with that, um, I don't know about you, Kaylee, but I'm kind of loving the AMA style. We had a couple of really deep, great conversations, one about um, like a like an ABM strategy, more of like a one to many, maybe one to few, depending on how you look at it, but like a pretty deep ABM strategy talking about how sales, how sales reps can 
uh, get more involved in creating demand or distributing content, I thought was a great topic. And then some of the pipeline velocity calculations and things like that, like what we've created in the vault for those that are wondering, like I showed some of the things that are doing in there. It's like creating a shared language that your entire company and team can use. How are we going to make certain calculations? How are we going to define how pipeline looks? How are we going to measure the effectiveness of programs? How are we going to think about attribution? Um, And what I find is that a lot of companies, maybe like one marketer goes to a training and they're like, okay, now we're going to do all things this way. But it's really, it's the difference between whether you have your whole team and company on board or whether you just have one person taking a course, learning some things. So the hope is that like every company uses a sales methodology. Every company has like Challenger or Sandler or some type of sales methodology where they have different stages. They have different methodology about how they do it. Um, and the crazy thing is that no marketing teams have a methodology about how to operate like the a sales methodology. So um, that's our sort of quasi objective in creating this. And Carl was on the event uh, last Thursday talking about how he uses this exactly with his team. Every single new marketer that's onboarded goes through and reads all of this information that's in here. So they're all speaking the same language. The executives know what the difference between creating demand and capturing demand is, and they know why they're looking at it because it's been explained to them in a rational way. So if you think that would benefit your company, feel free to, to let us know. But I did share some stuff in there. I wanted to give a little bit of more context on what we're doing. Um, and so with all that, maybe... Oh, Kaylee, you got something? Quick thing. If yeah. anybody wants to um, catch our next, we're doing another customer story from inside the vault and bringing on another member that's been using and integrating the vault into their daily workflow. Um, March 2nd, I'll drop the link into the chat for anybody that wants to join us for the next one. Yeah. And then let's just get a, I love doing a pulse, like a quick pulse check. Uh, AMA. I thought this one went well. What do people think? Yeah. We got some thumbs up, got some cool. Awesome. We'll keep learning. We'll keep trying to get better. Appreciate you all spending your time here. We'll be back again next Tuesday, same time. Hope you all have a great rest of your week.